<sighs> I don't know about you, but I love it out here. It's nice. I know, I know. It's okay. It's going to be great. Just four weeks for those of you who don't like it. It's okay. <laughs> so uh, I had the uh, privilege uh, uh, for several years in different uh, venues to uh, be a coach, like, um, like a you know, sports coach. Coached uh, baseball, I coached basketball, coached some football, and uh, it was great. You know, as my kids grew up, uh, you know, just being able to coach them when they were little kids. I even coached, uh, I, I don't know if you call it coaching, but soccer, right? Right, yeah. I don't know really call it, you know, coaching soccer. One, I don't really like the game soccer, just saying, putting it mildly. But, um, uh, but I didn't know much about the game anyway, so it was like, yeah, okay, well, yeah, just go out there and kick it. But they were little, so it was okay. It was cute, you know. We just said, just wherever the ball goes, you go, and it was great. Uh, anyway, but uh, I remember one time coaching uh, baseball. I, I spent probably the most time co co coaching baseball, and I was doing coach's pitch. Uh, and so this is, you know, that level where just above the t-ball level, right? But the kids aren't, don't got the strong enough arms to really kind of pitch or, or accuracy to pitch on their own yet. So they had the coach's pitch, right? And so I remember one time I'm, uh, I'm out on the mound, <clears throat> you know, pitching a, a shutout again. Um, and... <laughs> And and you 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 pitch to your own kids, right? And so it's it's great, right? You know. And so I'm I'm pitching to to my kids, and one of my kids and my team gets a hit, right? And I, I I remember, you know, like parents, like all around, you know, it's just typical, you know. They were I don't know how old they were, but they, just parents, like all over the place, and they're all watching. And I'm in the middle of the ball field, and my kid gets this, you know, my kids gets a hit, and so I want to celebrate it. And so I get mixed up uh, with a couple of words. <clears throat> Maybe you've had this happen before, but in my mind, I'm thinking, uh, I want to say nice shot or nice hit, <laughs> but I couldn't decide which one. <laughs> and so I mixed them together and yell out, nice, yeah. Um, and then I'm just like, oh my gosh, right? I'm just like in front of everyone. The pastor pitcher is cussing everybody. Oh my gosh, it was just brutal. Um, yeah, anyway, so we, we have those moments. It's fun. Uh, but anyway, coaching was great. I, I enjoyed coaching. It was fun. Most of my coaching actually ended up being around middle school ball. So uh, when my kids got old enough uh, to, you know, in middle school and beyond, I was like, okay, let, you know, maybe I can start doing a little bit more of this uh, coaching. And so I got involved in middle school baseball, basketball, and football. And so I, I coached those three sports. But again, specifically, I coached baseball. And uh, I, uh, I, I, I got to the point where I was coaching at what's like what they call a level baseball in middle school for seventh graders which basically means that the 15 best seventh grade baseball players are the ones that I get to coach right you know so you think oh my gosh you get the talented ones right you're the ones who are really skilled and I and I did and uh and, and it was it was great but also it was actually quite challenging uh, I found coaching the a teamers actually more difficult than coaching b teamers right? B-teamers, B you know, they didn't have the talent, right? Uh, uh, but they were super teachable. They, you know, you, you could step in and if they were struggling hitting the ball, you can give them a few tips and boy, they would figure it out and they learn and, and they would listen to you and move. If they were struggling in the field or struggling pitching or whatever, you could, you could step in and as a coach, you could help them and you could see tangible stuff happen on the field. And every game was pretty fun because you'd see things like, you know, that you'd never seen before, right? Or kids had successful, you know, attempts at the plate or whatever. And 
and it was great. But A-team baseball, even though they had all of the talent, boy, I tell you, they were not very coachable. You know, most of them are not most of them, but some of them had, you know, they had, they had like swing coaches and they had, you know, batting or not uh, pitching coaches, right? And so like my level of my ability of coaching was like, I was like their third or fourth tier coach for some of these guys. And, and most of them, if not all of them, played on competitive teams as well. So not just my team, but other teams. And so they had other coaches. And so they were just really hard to coach. Uh, you know, you, you just, it was, I got to watch a lot of great baseball. <laughs> and that was fun because they could actually do the things that the B teamers weren't at that level, right? And and bunting and you know squeezes and all these kind of different things. It was fun, but uh, but it, but they were hard to coach. But there were a specific group of people that were especially hard to coach, and those were the ones who were gifted. Now, now sometimes uh, you know part of the challenge here is that some kids thought <laughs> they were gifted, but they really weren't <laughs> gifted. And, and, I, and, you know, I mean, I, I, I'm sure, you know, like a parent, they, you know, parents were cheering them on and telling them how great they were and all this kind of stuff. But uh, it was always a challenge after cut day to have a couple of conversations with a couple of kids that thought they were gifted. And I had to, you know, kind of let them down easy, like, uh, sorry, uh, you didn't make the team, but you know, you can do it next time, right? Kind of thing. But uh, so there was that, but the other ones were the ones that actually truly were gifted. They were really did have the talent. They, they were above and beyond all of the other, even on the A team. I mean, they were, they stood above the rest. And uh, the challenges here were that the, these, these athletes would take one of two tracks. One, they would believe all the hype. And they would embrace that they are this great athlete. And, and they would believe their parents' affirmation. And they'd seen all the success they had on the field. And so they really embraced this reality and became prideful and arrogant about the fact that they were the best athlete, best kid, best baseball player on the team. And oftentimes, these guys would turn into just beasts in practice. Uh, criticizing others. And, and if anybody else made a mistake, they would just be immediately on them while kind of overlooking their own mistakes. Uh, often these type of gifted athletes uh, ended up at the end of the season, at least on my team, being in the best shape of their life because <laughs> I would make them run. Um, but there's also another uh, group of these gifted students, and these ones I kind of liked a little bit more, and they were the ones that were just as gifted as the others, but they, you could tell with them that their gifting was almost, almost like a burden to them. They had played so much baseball that they were kind of worn out and tired and, from that, but they still loved the game. And, and they wanted to hone their craft, and they oftentimes were more coachable and would listen to me, or at least respectfully listen. But what was amazing about these athletes that were just as gifted as the others is the fact that they had recognized that their gifting was not because of their own strength and effort. They recognized that it was a gift. And because of that, they approached baseball much more humbly. And they were the ones who became my, my, uh, my player coaches. <laughs> and they would come alongside other players who weren't as good or were struggling with a particular area, and they would help them. They would always be encouraging and supporting their teammates. 
they were a blast to coach. And usually by the end of the season, you know, I, I, I was probably closest to them as any other student. I tell this story because I see in Isaac some similarities. Let me explain. We talked last week about Abraham and his uh, rise to, or his climb to Mount Moriah and the, the testing that God did of his faith to see if, if he would actually sacrifice his son Isaac. But see, Mount Moriah actually marks a transition in the book of Genesis from Abraham to Isaac. It certainly was a powerful moment for Abraham and sealed his legacy as a man of faith. Certainly, we all look up to Abraham. Because of this story, we can't believe what he did, how he was able to follow through with that, and then what God did. It had to have been, he, he had to have come down, I think, off of that mountain a little bit giddy, right? Like, oh my gosh, did you guys just see what God did? That was amazing, right? And couldn't wait, get back, to wait to get back to tell everybody else what happened. But this is also a profound moment in Isaac's life. Imagine, first of all, being the child of promise. Maybe some of you experienced that. You know, your parents have, have put all of their hope in you that you are so talented or so gifted or so whatever it is that they, they look at you as like their hope of the future, like they want to live vicariously through you. Oftentimes we see this in athletics, but it can be in other areas as well. Uh, sometimes we can see, we can, sometimes we can be that child of promise, but imagine Isaac. After 25 years of Abraham waiting for God to fulfill his promise that he would have a son. Isaac shows up. Here's the promised son. I mean, he had to have heard the stories. Isaac, by the time he goes to Mount Moriah, Moriah is probably around 20 years old, maybe a little bit less, a little more. But he, he, he knows the stories. He knows who he is. He's the child of promise. But understand that the hope is not just that he would be born. Like, that's not the end of it. The promise that God gave was not just that Abraham would have son, one son, but that he would have many. That Abraham would be the father of nations, that Abraham would be the father of a great nation. And so in Isaac was not just the promise of his birth, but it was the promise of what God do, would do through him. Imagine a moment if that's you. Imagine the pressure that maybe you would feel. But imagine, how would you respond? Think about it. Isaac had no choice. With Abraham, like God came to him and said, Abraham, follow me and I'll make you great. And Abraham chose it. But with Isaac, he was just born into it. He didn't have a choice. He was born into this family. He was born into this legacy. The journey up Mount Moriah was likely the defining moment of Isaac's life where he saw firsthand the truth of his gifted state. Similar to the gifted middle school baseball players I coached, Isaac, likely not much older than them, finds himself at the center of his parents' hopes for the future. 
He has inherited a great gift that demands he carry it along with the heavy burden of expectation. The only question that remains is how will he carry it? Will he turn to pride and spend his life presuming upon God and demanding the respect of the world? Or will he turn to humility? Will he accept the burden and carry it with gentleness and kindness, respecting all who he encounters? It seems clear to me that Isaac receives this gift with humility. Perhaps he went through a season of pride. Perhaps, you know, he began to believe the press clippings and began to believe how great he really was and how awesome he was going to be and what God was going to do. Maybe he started there, but I think Mount Moriah must have shook that out of him. Because even if he was maybe a little bit prideful after going through that experience of climbing up onto the altar, he must have given it up. Notice Isaac doesn't fight back. Although he's old enough to overpower his aging father, he doesn't fight him. He doesn't defend his life. Matter of fact, he assists his father and assists God in offering up his life. I think this proves that Isaac realized that the title he carried of promised child was not one that he earned or deserved. I think he realized that this was a gift, a gracious gift given from the Father. And it caused him to handle it with great humility. We see this humility play out actually through his life. And a couple of chapters later in chapter 24, we see Abraham is the one who acquires a wife for Isaac. We also see later in chapters 26 that when famine strikes again, Isaac's automatic reaction to the tensions that rise between him and another nation is not to fight and go to war, but is instead to give in and to retreat talks about the fact that he, he dug, I think it was four different wells as the nation he was in tension with kept coming and saying, that's my well. And he's like, oh, okay, we'll go on to the next well. A sense of humility here that we see. But even with his dueling sons, Jacob and Esau, he always loved them. He always honored them. And he always sought to pass on blessings to them as best he could. While some have accused Isaac of being apathetic, it seems to me his hesitant behavior throughout his life actually is evidence of his humble desire to care for and bless others. The gift he bore was a heavy burden, but one which he used not for his own glory, but for others. Isaac was not a man who, whose presence demanded attention. He was a man of great humility and faith. He trusted and worshiped God all the days of his life. Unlike his father, he didn't need to test his boundaries. He took God at his word and he knew he was sovereign. 
Isaac recognized the undeserved grace he'd received and spent his life content to be behind the scenes and to bless others when he could. And an intriguing aspect of the story of Isaac is his brother, his half-brother, if you will, Ishmael. Abraham attempted, of course, we know this already, to fulfill the promise of God by doing it under his own strength. While he was successful in producing a son, he was not successful in fulfilling the promise of God. And the result was that he successfully ignited tensions between two nations that continue to exist today. We didn't read this last week, so I want to take some time to a moment to read it this week. In Genesis chapter 21, verses 8 through 21. Genesis 21, verses 8 to 21. And the child grew. This is Isaac, who's born, right? In the first part of this chapter, we see that Isaac is born. And the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, cast out the slave woman with her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water and the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite, opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bowshot. For she said, let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy, and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt." Unlike Isaac, we see Ishmael get consumed with pride. I don't think it is too great a stretch to read this arrogance into his mocking laughter at the weaning celebration for Isaac. Ishmael is at this point about that middle school age. He has heard how great he is and has fully embraced his powerful position as a father of a great nation. He struts about demanding others respect and honor him. 
seeing the depth of love and attention given to his baby brother, sparks jealousy in his heart. He can't help but lash out, making fun of the -the over-the-top speculation being made over Isaac's graduation to solid food, right? Kindergarten graduation, anyone, right? I mean, like, are we going to graduate every grade that they, I mean, think about this. We're having a big party over the fact that he's like, hey, he's on solid food. Yay, look at that. He's got bread. It's amazing, right? I mean, like, come on, seriously, right? This is, and this is kind of Ishmael, right? But I think it's driven, it's, 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 it's centered, it's rooted in a pride. His mother had raised him up in this way to think that, oh, you're going to be something. You're going to be a great nation. You've got this great legacy. And he had bought into it. And like those athletes that I coach that were gifted, he bought into all the hype and became prideful and arrogant. Interestingly, Paul adds to this story a little bit in Galatians chapter 4. Paul here takes Isaac and Ishmael, and he puts them together and he says, let's talk about these two different things, (laughs) these two different people, these two different sons who will become great nations. And he says the reality that there's blessing, there's one side which is a, gets a, receives a blessing through the flesh, but there's the other side that receives the blessing through the promise. Ishmael was the, his birth was the result of human effort. Abraham had put in that effort and resulted in Ishmael's birth. But God still promises to make him a great nation. However, Isaac, on the other hand, was the result of the promise. Isaac came about not because of man's will, but because of God's will. Isaac was born in a miraculous way because he was the son of 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 the promise, but also the son and the father of a great nation. So let's read actually Galatians chapter 4. We won't read the whole thing, but just a portion of it. The key portion. Galatians chapter 4, verses 21 to 31. Here Paul says, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, the law, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you... Brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. Let me read that again. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. 
So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Paul adds here to our understanding of what is going on in, with Isaac and Ishmael. He gives a distinction between the two. The birth of Ishmael, brought about by the will of man, finds his position in constant jeopardy and therefore spends his life striving to be worthy of such a gift and doing all he can to maintain it. While Isaac, miraculously born of the will of God, knowing that human effort could never have produced his gifted position, is not dependent on his own effort. He lives without fear and with, eight, and with great humility and generosity. But the, the cool thing about Galatians is what that, it was a verse that I read twice. The fact that we, like Isaac, are children of promise. Paul's reasons for writing about Ishmael and Isaac is not to just give us more information about an Old Testament story. It's much more personally relevant than that. He wants us to know that our position in the kingdom of God, our adoption into the family of God, was one that came because of promise, not because of our efforts. He's fighting against the, the Judaizers, the legalistic Judaizers of his day in Galatia, who are trying to tell the church that they need to follow the law because that's their way to salvation. And Paul is saying, no, you are children of the promise, not of the flesh. Children of the promise who didn't deserve it. Children of the promise who never earned it and never could earn it. Children who have received salvation because of the amazing grace of our heavenly father. We too, like Isaac, are children of promise. We are saved, accepted, adopted by the miraculous, grace-filled work of Jesus. We don't earn it, we can't earn it, and we don't deserve it. We are the promised child. But what does that mean? Let's stop and think about that for a moment. The promised child. We are part of fulfilling the promise that God made to Abraham. We are one of Abraham's offspring, his children. We, like Isaac, are the ones that have been promised that didn't come about because of Abraham's will, but came about because of God's divine will and because of God's divine providence. But more than that, we are not just the promised child, but we are the conduit of future promised children. Just like Isaac. It wasn't just that he was the one and that's it. The, the promise was fulfilled. No, he had a, there, was, there was something that God was going to do through him as well to generations to come. And again, we are all evidence of that. But it keeps going. God is still building the great kingdom, the great nation of Abraham. And he's doing that through his promised children, his children of promise.
The question is, how will we respond? How do we respond to knowing that we're a a promised child? Do we respond as Ishmael did? With pride and arrogance? Do Do we buy into the hype? Man, I'm pretty great. Oh my gosh, look at all this. Look at this power I got. Look what, I mean, I, there's going to be great things going to come out of me. I, I, do we fall into Ishmael's pride? Our world is full of Ishmael's. We get tempted, I think, every day. But I think many of our hearts at least have some corners where Ishmael reigns. Certain areas of our life where we still maybe find pride in that. Where we buy into the hype, where we think we're great. Where arrogance begins to rule. We can look down our noses at others and condescend to them. I'm sure we've all experienced, and unfortunately probably all of us have done it ourselves, use that moralistic condescending tone over those who are overwhelmed in sinful world. Do you remember like you're, like me, do you remember that sin that you said you'd never do? Remember how arrogant <laughs> you were, I was before. Oh yeah, I'd never do that and looking at other people that fell into that. I can't believe they fell. How do they ever fall? That is just so crazy. They are so bad. They're so evil. They're so, those people just, they got real problems. (laughs) And then, oops. (laughs) We stumble over the same stone. Are there sins that, that's where you're at? Is there a, sense of arrogance and pride in you and moralistic, you know, legalism in you? Do you see the sinful world around you and look down your noses at them? This morning we have a choice as Mike prayed. And the choice is to be Isaac instead of Ishmael. To remember that our salvation, the gift that we've received is not because we're great. Not because we are so righteous. God, not because God is just lucky to have us in his family. To realize that We're just as depraved as the rest of the world. Deep down in our hearts, we've got the same capacity as anyone else. Capacity to sin, capacity to destroy, capacity to pride and arrogance. To remember that what we have in salvation is grace. It's given to us by grace. And because we understand that it's been given to us by grace, because we understand there's nothing we could do to earn it, because we understand our total depravity, we can then step in with joy and excitement in humility. Not judging, 
our neighbor, not judging our fellow brother or sister in the Lord, not judging the world and condemning it, but instead loving it and looking for opportunities to come alongside and encourage them and to care for them and to pass on the blessing that we have received. Paul tells us over and over again in different aspects, uh, in different parts of his letters, in Romans and in Philippians, that we should seek to spend our lives offering our gift to others, that we would think more highly of others than ourselves, that we would seek to love those around us, that we would seek to care for them as best we can, that we would come alongside them, that we would certainly hate evil, but cling to good, and that we would love everyone. The choice that's before us this morning is a choice of pride or humility, of Ishmael or Isaac. But be encouraged, even if too often you have fallen into the Ishmael camp and found pride bubble up in your heart and spoken things that have been harmful and hurtful to others, that our position as children of promise cannot be lost. We will always have that promise with us. Because we didn't earn it, <laughs> we can't lose it. Because we, didn't we don't deserve it, God's not going to ever go, oh, that's too much. Okay, we're done. <laughs> he will always continue to accept us into his family. Worship team, come forward as I give these final words. We must remember that we are not children of the flesh. Our new birth did not come through flesh, or the will of man, but from the gracious will of God. We are the children of promise. And so we join Isaac in choosing humility and love. We honor God who saved us, and we honor every image bearer that walks the earth, always considering others more highly than ourselves and always viewing ourselves with sober judgment and always seeking to pass on the blessings we've received. Children of promise, receive the gift. Understand that it's undeserved and pass it on. Amen? All right, let's stand and uh, we'll sing another song and then I'll be back up. Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much that we are your children. Thank you that you loved us so much that not only did you create us, but Lord, you pursued us. And Lord, you continue to pursue us until we give our life to you. Lord, we thank you for this amazing reality that we are indeed uh, your children. That uh, because of that, we are children of the promise. <laughs> you, you have fulfilled your promise to Abraham by drawing us into your kingdom, by adopting us into your world. And, and uh, into your family. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. But also, Lord, you are continuing to build that kingdom, continuing to fulfill that promise. So you just ask you to help us 
to choose like Isaac did, to, to, to be, to choose that humility, that we would remember this reality that uh, we didn't earn it, but also, Lord, that you would uh, keep reminding us of the fact that we need you, that we, we need you every day, every moment, and that with the things that you've given us, Lord, you always want us to pass those on, to share them with others, to never hold it to ourselves, Lord, that as you bless us, that's always designed to be passed on to somebody else. So help us to do that as well. Do that in our community here as a church, but also do it in the world, in the neighborhood, in the, in the places around our world, and people that, uh, are, that don't love you, people that uh, are rebelling against you still, people, the Ishmaels in our world that uh, are prideful and arrogant and think that they deserve so much more than what they have and think they can earn it. Uh, Lord, help us to love them well and help us to, to reach out and seek to bless them as well. As Romans 12, verses 9 and following say, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, Live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you, church. We got some instructions for you here in a moment. I believe Xavier's coming up, but we also have men up here in, uh, that would love to pray with you as well. So if you would like prayer this morning, please come forward. Uh, but there's a whole bunch of exciting things happening right now. Do you have a microphone? Sweet. Go for it. I do have a mic. They gave me the power. Nice. Uh, yeah, they shouldn't trust me with yeah, this yeah. at all. No. <laughs> um, but a couple of exciting things. So right in like 10 minutes, we are going to have our carnival here. We're going to have a bunch of games, a bounce house, uh, an ice cream truck in a little bit, and some food. And it's going to be awesome. So the way it's going to work is we are going to have somebody at a little ticket booth or a ticket table um, up by the like coffee where that was. Uh, you guys will go up there, and that's where you'll purchase like tickets and the ability to get like face painting done and all of that kind of stuff. Um, we have a couple of awesome face painters who are going to be doing all of that as well. And let me think. We're going to have fried potatoes, uh, fried pickles, hot dogs, chips, sodas, water, all of that kind of stuff. Uh, funnel cake as well. I forgot yeah. about that one. Nice. So, yeah, we have a lot of awesome stuff. Uh, give us a couple minutes just to set up. If you guys could clear out of this area as soon as you can so we can set up our games. But, yeah, that is... Am I missing anything? Am I, I don't know. I, not, I think I got everything. But yes, yeah, so yes, the crafts. So there are crafts as long or along the wall of the church that are up for sale. 
Um, a lot of them have been made by students or by other people in the church. I know Sophie made some like scarves and hats and stuff like that. But and there's wood burnings and all that kind of stuff. So it's awesome. Uh, we also accept card. We have a way to do it. So if you don't have any cash, we can do it. So <laughs> no yeah. excuses for not bringing cash. All right. We, <laughs> we've got past that. Um, but I think that's all. If you have any questions, ask me, ask Sophie, ask Callie. Um, we'll be able to answer them to the best of our ability. Uh, some of the games only cost one ticket and then other things cost two. But they're 25 cents a ticket, so it's not too bad. Um, but yeah, and I think the hot dog meal is $6 and the funnel cake, pickle, and potatoes are all about two bucks each. But yeah, awesome. Well, have fun. Yeah. Enjoy. <laughs>